Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lukather of Toto. Hi, y'all. This is Charlie Daniels, and you're listening to Jimmy Warren. Hey, everybody. Jimmy Warren here with Guitar Talk. Hey, thanks for coming back around this Wednesday. Oh, you got a treat in store for you. You know, one of my favorite guitar players is Steve Lukather. Luke, one of my favorite. Uh, The man amazes me on guitar. He really does. Uh, His accomplishments are just, oh, my God, you know. He's lived the dream, I guess, as a guitar player. You know, one year I saw him uh, do something solo. I saw him with Toto. I saw him with the Peter uh, Frampton Guitar Circus and the Ringo All-Star Band all in one year. John, who I'm talking to today, John Gosnell, is Steve Lugather's guitar tech. Now, I had a conversation with Steve before. I met Steve, I don't know, back in the early 2000s. And I, the last time I interviewed uh, Steve, uh, he spoke <laughs> for an hour and a half. And I never really got to talk to him about his gear and his sound and you know, some of the, the things that I really wanted to because, you know, he's he's an interesting guy. You know, he's got cool things to say, and you don't want to interrupt him. So, uh, you know, we just had a blast. And uh, so I figured, you know what, this time around, you know, we're hopefully we're going to have Steve on in 2021 next year. Um, but uh, this time around, I wanted to make sure that I could talk gear and so what better way to do that than with his uh, his tech? Now, John Gosnell is tech for a lot of great people, a lot of great guitar players over the years. The boy can play himself, and the man can play himself. He's really good. He's in the process of making uh, you know a CD right now himself. Uh, he's in a band on the East Coast where he lives in the New England area. Um, one of the things I found fascinating was that he has Steve Lukather's identical rig at his house. So that he can work on his rig and he can, you know, try that rig with new pedals and different things so that he can share them with Steve. And I think it's really cool. It's a really good, fascinating conversation about the industry, about Steve Lukather's sound and tone and touring and all that good stuff. But at the same time, you get to meet a really cool guy. You know, John Gosnell is just that. He's a down-to-earth, really, really cool guy. And, uh, you know, it was a pleasure to speak with him. So I am going to shut up because I could go on and on and on and talk about John and and Steve, but I'm not going to. I'm going to let you hear this conversation because you're really going to dig it. And then make sure that you're paying attention because, you know, hopefully we'll be able to announce here, you know, before the end of the year that Steve's coming on the show uh, probably hopefully in January, February. Okay. So here it is, John Gosnell, the guitar tech for Steve Lukather. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, John. How you doing, buddy? Fine, thanks. How are you? Good. Real good. How about yourself? Oh, not bad. Not bad. And uh, enjoying a 90-some degree day here in early June, getting on mid-June. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... It's been getting uh humid the last couple of days here in the mid-atlantic region so we we are uh back to our normal summertime uh humidity (laughs) yeah so you know just uh been making use this year of getting a lot of yard work and housework done and stuff i haven't been able to do since uh you know all this started yeah well but uh 
Go, everything's fine. Every you know, would uh, hopefully we'll be back at it at some point here. Uh, hopefully, well, definitely by next year. But there's there's talk that things may, depending on how the rest of the fall goes, uh, we may be able to do some stuff towards the uh, new year. Yeah, that, that's what I've been hearing too. I I heard you know either late in this year or you know sometime early to you know twenty twenty one. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, early on, you know, when they realized this was a thing, a lot of the tours went ahead and called it early and just said, well, let's just book it for the same time next year uh, to keep it easy. Um, but, you know, I don't know how there are so many tours that the scheduled for this year. Um, you, you sort of wonder, you know, how... You know, if it wasn't booked for last year, how are they going to book it for next year when all of last year is happening next year? <laughs> so, you know, uh, it, it, it'll be, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But, uh, it, you know, it's a guessing game at this point how how and when it will all play out. But, yeah. you know, until then, we'll just sit tight and, and wait and see. Um, we had a pretty busy year for... Uh, for Luke, so, you know, we're going to be repeating that, you know, right into next year whenever we can. So, yeah. you know, everything's going well. I uh, I actually haven't spoken to Luke in a couple of weeks. I, I've mainly been texting him here and there just because nothing, you know, there's not been really anything to talk about <laughs> yeah. other than how's everything going at home. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're keeping busy and, uh, you know, uh, everything's going as smooth as it could be for not being able to, you know, tour. But uh, I'm getting a lot of other things done, so I can't <laughs> complain. Believe me, I know a few. Unfortunately, I know a a few guys who are who've been, you know, that don't live in my state, but that have had a hell of a time with unemployment and and you know, still waiting on a stimulus check and all that stuff. So. Everyone, depending on you know the, their situation, has sort of had a a different experience through all this. So yeah. you know it, it's been really tough, um, and you know it was uh, impossible to predict. So yeah, yeah, and especially for the you know the musicians that are you know uh, maybe not a list. You know what I mean? Like all the guys that still tour, like let's say all the blues guys. Sure. You know, and stuff like that. I mean, like like Eric Gales, right. Joe Bonamass, uh, uh, a lot of those guys. Yeah, right. Because you know those guys, uh, they depend a lot on uh, venues. You know, big time. Yeah, a lot of those guys aren't you know doing big shows like like Luke would be doing. But uh, and so you know, and I've heard stories you know of some of these venues just going away. You know, they're closing. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the Troubadour there in uh, L.A. being one of them, yeah. uh, I, I followed, uh, you know, that they've had a hell of a time through all this and, and many others, not just, you know, obviously uh, them. But I've heard I've heard of a lot of clubs having issues uh, just, at, you know, places in general, especially uh you know, places, I know some venues are just sort of venues, you know, bar and show. And, you know, they haven't been able to do anything, you know, throughout this whole whole ordeal. Yep. So I, I feel for, for them, for sure. 
Yep. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, when this comes back, that, that a majority of them will still be there. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but, you know, I guess, you know, everyone's got their unique situations and it's sort of, you know, do what you can to survive until we can get fully back to normal. And, and I know that's one, one, I guess, interesting thing uh to see if if anything will change uh in the music world uh, after this uh you know obviously live streaming has been huge during you know the the stay at home stuff and been you know a, a a big help i know a lot of uh friends of mine around here have raised a ton of money for charity during uh the course of all this yeah that's nice yeah, yeah that's really um good. So it's it's just great to see what everyone else is doing and you know how they're they're getting by and and you know I've talked to quite a few of the touring industry obviously you know we're, we're it's still up in the air so we're not even you know we won't know for months we're we're sure when we'll be fully back to work but until then you know everyone's just sort of hanging tight and you know keeping in contact with one another so that's been nice you know and uh I think the majority of the people I've talked to feel the same way that, you know, well, we can't go back to work, so let's make the best of our time and try to, you know, focus on, on doing stuff at home for once. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with my average of maybe, uh, if I'm lucky, two months to, to, you know, out of the year and never straight. So it's, it's hard to find time when, you know, you're doing as many shows as, Luke does, you know, uh, uh, annually. Yeah. So, which, you know, I don't have a full count, but it's quite a lot. Yeah. So, so let, let me, uh, let's, let's start from the beginning here. Uh, sure. John, you know, I, I, I know some, some techs, you know, I know guys that work with some great players and they're usually amazing guitar players themselves. I've heard stories that you're really good. I've, I've never heard you, but I've heard stories that you're pretty good. So I want to know, you know, how did you get started playing the guitar and who were the people that influenced you in the very beginning? Well, uh, early on, I can say uh, it was a combination of, of my parents uh, always having a record player in the house. Uh, when I was really young, you know, and, and, you know, five, six, seven years old, my earliest memories are of Beatles albums or my dad's collection of Western and Waylon Jennings and whoever, you know, uh, so it was that. And my older cousin, actually, who's, who's, who's four years older than I started playing guitar when he was about nine or 10. And of course, we, we didn't live far away from each other at the time, and we would visit often. And of course, I came over one day, this probably would have been in 1981-ish, uh, so he was upstairs playing all this, you know, it turned out to be power chords, but to me, it sounded like heaven at that age, so whatever he did, I had to replicate, so he was sort of my first guitar hero if you will that's cool yeah and uh he so i i stuck with it and when we moved away uh from pittsburgh we moved uh to annapolis maryland 
and I wound up taking private lessons from a guitarist who was in Paul Reed Smith's band. Oh, wow. So I was probably 12, 11 or 12 years old at that point. And I was introduced to Paul Reed Smith, who was up and coming as this wonderful guitar manufacturer. And uh, I got a PRS a few years later, and and the rest is sort of history. I I wound up working for uh, Paul's band for uh, five years or so until I was out of high school. And so that sort of shaped my whole, you know, I knew guitar was a thing, and uh, the whole time I was working for the band, but I was also performing in my own bands, you know, and, and uh, I, w- I started playing out, uh, I'd say, professionally at about 16 years old, where I was playing at clubs, you know, going out, getting paid at 100, 200 bucks a night at 16, which was really bizarre because back then no one seemed to really care Uh it was awkward when you occasionally run into a teacher uh, or two of yours, uh, <laughs> but uh, at that age. But we were, you know, taking it very seriously and and playing as uh, you know. That's how we all kind of learned yeah. was by you know digging and seeing other professionals play and how they carry themselves and and how they perform and you know sort of emulating a bit of that and you know, doing your own thing as well. So this, so, so this is in the eighties. Uh, yes, yes. By mid eighties, this would have been by, you know, I think Paul, Paul's factory opened in what? 84. So, uh, here in, uh, Annapolis on, uh, West street. And then the, the, or the Virginia Avenue, uh, plant. And then he since moved away over to Kent Island, but, uh, this would have been mid-80s by then, and then late-80s, you know, I was probably out of high school going to Berkeley uh, summer classes or uh, Musicians Institute by then. I think I was 19 by the time I went to MI. So, so, so would you say that by the time, you know, you were at that place, you've kind of made a decision that in one way or another – the guitar was going to be how you were going to make your living. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of knew even before that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, one, one thing, uh, I know my cousin introduced me to, uh, well, not personally, but, uh, his music and that would be Mr. Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. And that would have been right around 81, 82. Yeah. And when I heard him, you know, it was, you know, like so many others, it was like, what is going on there? And I want to do that. And uh, right. so I kind of knew, you know, and I think I even commented to my mother, uh, you know, right after I had gotten my first guitar that, you know, this is all I want to do. And I think at first, like so many other parents are probably thinking, well, it's just a phase. He'll grow out of it. And then, you know, a few years go by and they start to get a little more worried. Right. <laughs> but uh, at least it was, you know, we were my my, my parents really helped uh, help me big time in those days as far as getting to and from gigs, um, you know, because I started working before I could even drive a car. So I would get home from school and rush to do my homework, and then my parents would drive me downtown and drop me off at 
seven o'clock to start setting up for a nine thirty hit, you know, getting done at one thirty bar time. And then I'd be home by two thirty asleep and getting up for school the next morning. Yeah. And that happens sometimes, you know, two, three nights a week. So, you know, but at that time for me, it was really, it was heavy schooling. I mean, I was so into it and learning and, you know, the drummer, uh, uh, the Greg Phillips, the drummer from Starpoint, they were, they were, uh, a band in the eighties. Um, uh, and they were actually the band that, uh, Millie Vanilli wound up uh, taking their song, uh, but the drummer from the drummer from that band was in Paul's band, and it was uh, great to work with all these professionals. So I learned about drum teching and guitar teching, of course, audio, you know, uh, yeah. monitors, you know, kind of all the areas of you know of tech world for musicians and. It certainly helped, uh, even within my own band, just knowing how to communicate with front of house, uh, monitors, backline, all of it. You know, it all kind of works hand in hand. Yes. Yeah, so, in a show sense. Yeah. So, so at what point did you know that, that teching was going to be your thing? You know, that you weren't really going to go on to be, you know, a, a player at that level, but you were, you know, that, that doing what you're doing is kind of your calling. Well, I, I don't know that it, it, I would say it's necessarily my calling, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, as far as I didn't set out to be a, a guitar tech, obviously, but well, I think, you know, there, I had, uh, I had moved around quite a bit, played with very, a, a ton of different local projects. Um, and for one reason or another, either it didn't work out or, you know, there were a couple instances where we had, uh, you know, an album in the works and then someone left and then it never got, you know, fully done. But I think it was uh, totally by accident um, that I got a call while I had uh, worked for uh, a band called Jimmy's Chicken Shack. And they had a... a, a they were around in the 90s and 2000s, and I, I worked for them, I think, starting in the late 90s. And uh, the guitarist in the band wound up as uh, tech for John Oates on Daryl Hall. Uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates, obviously, Hall and Oates. Mm -hmm. And uh, he needed uh, some help, so he asked me if I would go on tour with him. And so I guess that was my first real you know, experience on a big tour. And then it just, I, I got out of it and it, or the tour ended and I went back to playing and teaching and doing everything that I'd been doing the whole time. And, and then I, a, a really close friend of mine, uh, introduced me to Nils Lofgren and, uh, I wound up working for Nils, uh, for a couple of years doing solo work with him. And then my friend got hurt badly in Europe hurt his back really bad and had to have surgery. So uh, I wound up replacing him, taking care of Nils Lofgren. And this would have been back in 2000, I want to say 12. Um, so I, I it, it came out of nowhere and I, I didn't plan on uh, being a, a, you know, a full-time tech at that time, but it just sort of happened. And I was helping out, and the next thing you know, I was offered Ringo Starr, and that's where I met Luke 
also in 2012. So, and, you know, we hit it off right away, and that's sort of, you know, what's, and he's just so busy, it's, I, I haven't even had time to think since then, practically. So, you know, it's it's just the way it's sort of the cards have, have fallen. Uh, and I, I still play. I, I'm actually working uh, with some uh, local guys I was in a band with in the mid-2000s, and we're doing an all-original project right now in the early stages of, uh, you know, pre-production. So, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have something uh, available. It's going really well. We just started maybe within the last month, so... Oh, very cool. But, yeah, but, you know, it's for, certainly, you know, when you're working for someone like Luke or Nils or any of those guys, uh, you know, the level of musicianship is, you know, top of the top of the bar there. So when you, you know, it, it helps being a player for sure, uh, you know, in the tech world, uh, there are nuances that, that you know, that only a player would really kind of know about, um, mm. you know, and feel on a, on the way a guitar plays or a way, you know, with yeah. whether it be action or, you know, string buzz in certain areas of the neck, uh, you know, and also, you know, it depends on the instrument too. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it does, there are many advantages of being a player because you've, you know, you've you've had to most likely do uh, repairs or so, uh, tech work for yourself as a player at some point. You know, whether it be fix a broken pedal or, you know, soldering a cable possibly or, you know, day-to-day stuff, upkeep. Right. So it does, you know, there, it, it definitely helps. Um, but that's not to say um, there are many different types of techs. You know, and, you know, what maybe Joe Perry needs, you know, Steve Lukather might not, or vice versa. You know, like some some guys that, that tour with vintage instruments carry full-blown luthiers, you know, on tour. Um, even though, you know, everyone knows on major repairs, you're not going to get stuff fixed in time for the show. Right. That's why, you know, you, you tend to carry backup guitars, but... You know, on big, long, you know, two-year world tours, a lot of times guys have full-blown luthiers to, you know, fix vintage instruments and things like that, as well as tuning techs, uh, amp techs, you know. Uh, so it, it depends on what you're, you know, who you're working for and what their basic needs are and requirements. And everyone is kind of different, you know. Yeah. So you just kind of, you know, you get a new... Uh, you know, musician you're working for and you kind of learn right away what their idiosyncrasies are and, and what they need and what they're focused on. And, you know, it may be totally different from the guy you worked for, you know, previously. Um, so you just roll with it, you know, and, and certainly being around equipment for 30 plus years. And, you know, I have a studio myself here and, you know, uh, whole guitar center's worth of pedals probably buried down there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> so that helps for sure. Yeah. And just knowing, and just knowing combinations and, you know, Luke will ask me all the time, uh, you know, what pedal, I want a pedal that does this. What are, what's good? You know, so yeah. knowing, knowing what's out there, 
you know, how it interacts uh, is, is definitely a big plus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can imagine that, you know, uh, some of those, some of those rigs probably get complicated, you know, and, and you're not, you know, you're not playing with, you know, just a, a regular guy, you know, let's face it. Steve Lugather is probably one of the best guitar players there is. You know? <laughs> he, he's amazing. Yeah. I mean, his yeah. lead. He, yeah, I agree. He's yeah. definitely, you know, there's not many people that can play lead guitar like Lukather can for sure. Yeah. Uh, he's got his own, own thing and it is, and not only that, but he's got a great guitar tone. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's the other thing, um, is he's got a very straightforward, it is a rock tone, but you'd be surprised how versatile he can get that, you know, from almost a, a, a dark jazz kind of cleaner thing to, uh, you know, he, he really, really uh, utilizes every pickup setting. He's always riding the guitar volume knob as well as, uh, his volume pedal, which are an integral part of his playing for yeah. sure. Yeah. Is the, you know, the, he can cut gain, you know, from either the guitar's volume or the volume pedal or both. So that just the variety of, of, you know, he can really clean it up and get a nice bluesy thing going or, you know, open it all up, hit the 20 dB boost and go into hyper mode you know, all in the same rig. So it's, it's really versatile. Yeah. I, I remember I've, I've seen him a, a, a bazillion times in, in one year I saw him with the Ringo tour and then he did the Peter Frampton guitar circus. And, uh -huh. and then he did, I think Toto the same year. And it was, uh, but he always, he always seemed to have the same setup. He always had the Bogner, Bogner amps always playing the same, yeah. you know, musician. Does he, does he ever switch that out or is that just his standard rig? Um, well, at that time he was actually, he has made a, uh, well, the short answer is basically, no, it's been the same basic rig for probably a decade or so, or, or maybe even more by now. Yeah. Uh, the, there are different Bogner, the Bogner ecstasy 101 B's. Mm -hmm. were what he started and used up until about, I want to say 20, I think 2017 turn of 2018 when Bogner released the Helios 100 right. and the Helios line. So he wound up, I think, cutting a session with a Helios head and he loved it. So he had a couple made up for him and we a beat him and, for the remaining uh, two last tours, well, he, he's been on the Helios for a couple of years now. But otherwise, it's, you know, it's basically the same exact rig, you know, run the exact same way. Pedals tend to come and go, but mm. they're not, you know, it's, you know, people will send him pedals all the time and he'll try them out and, you know, kind of compare and go back and forth. And he may like something for you know, a month and then go back to something else or try something out, you know. So that's sort of always a revolving pedal board, if you will. But, it, it you know, the pedals really are, you know, there's only a, a few pedals that he really relies on heavily. And everything else is, you know, like Univibe or Phase yeah. or, you know, whatever, uh, Rotary 
type effects are only really used in certain parts of a certain song. Yeah. So they're not on very much. Um, and, you know, Lukather, to, to answer the other part of your question, we've done many fly dates where we don't have the luxury of taking Luke's rig yeah. um, with us. Um, you know, we had to go to the Faroe Islands a uh, year or two ago, and, you know, we couldn't take anything we took, you know, had to fit on or underneath the plane. So, you know, yeah. good luck with a 412. Uh, so that's, <laughs> we rented, you know, we rented marshals and, and uh, I think I brought a, a pedal board, uh, you know, for him. But really, I mean, he's done, you know, gigs with just a volume pedal, a tube screamer, a wah, and a, a DD3. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is kind of a, that, I, that was pretty much my first setup was, uh, you know, a, a boss delay. Uh, I think I did. All right. I admit it was eighties. I did have a chorus, uh, <laughs> um, and you know, an overdrive of some sort, uh, super overdrive or TS nine and, and, it, you know, a volume in front of that. And that was pretty much, uh, a lot of guitar players around here where I, I grew up that was kind of our first starting guitar rig yeah. works great. And, you know, when I saw Luke, we did a show one time where we couldn't even bring a pedal board and, you know, he just said, hook up the TS nine and a DD three and a, you know, and there he is through a Marshall and it's sounds just like Luke. So, yeah. you know, it, it's great to see, you know, and that's a big part of it is, you know, for, for younger guitar players that are just getting into it and trying to figure stuff out. You know, not to worry about the gear end of things, um, you know, too much, Yeah. you know, um, and because you're always, you know, kind of take the, the, the basic setup and then morph off of that, you know, if, if you want more kind of thing. But there's going to, you know, if you're thinking of becoming a professional guitarist, you're going to have plenty of times where you can't play your own stuff. Um you know, so yep. it's always good to be familiar with what other amps are out there, how they interact. You know, obviously, you know, for higher gain situations, playing a Fender Twin is probably out of the a question, <laughs> unless you're hitting it with like a line or a Helix or a you know an amp, a, a, you know, some other kind of uh, modeler. But in general, you know, I, I think. You know, real tube amps are still, you know, kind of the, for me, and I know for for Luke. Um, we're, we're I, although I love the flexibility of the Kemper and the Line Six uh, for live stuff, he just still prefers the real deal. You yeah. know, at this point, and that's not a, a knock at all towards any of the the uh, the digital stuff. It sounds great. I, in fact. I'm I'm looking into picking one up for my studio just so I don't have to crank up amps all the time. Mm. Um, um, but I did, did just get an ox box, so that's been exciting so far. I'm really digging that. You know, between the the digital, you know, if if you're like in your studio recording, I know uh, I I've I've been using a lot lately the UA plugins. Um, yeah. The the yep. Fush, the Fush Overdrive. You know, yep. they've got a Dirty Shirley, you know, Friedman Dirty Shirley. They got Plexis. Yep. They got a lot of great amps that, that have a lot of great presets, but a lot of flexibility, too. And you don't have to do anything. 
You know, really, yeah, I mean, I you have no gear. It's it's just it's great. It's it's fantastic, and it's it's really you know, like I said, I uh, I've been looking into uh, all this stuff for the last two years while I've been out on the road. Yeah. And luckily, when I got finished uh, last year's touring in October, uh, I was able to you know I I I got some more mic pre's and 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 gear for my compressors and gear for my studio and. Uh, I wound up with an, uh, my a good friend of mine, uh, Brian Ewald, uh, clinician for Paul Reed Smith Guitars, uh, just said, "Man, with all the amps you got over there, you got to get the Oxbox." So I I went and got one, just based on him telling me to yeah. get it, and I I was blown away, just at the you know being able to you know take I have a bunch of you know I have a custom audio hundred watt head I've got a cup you know I have. Um, you know, a lot, uh, I have, uh, an entire Bogner, actually two, I have all of Luke's rigs, uh, myself. And that's because I design, well, I use them, but uh, also I, I'm, uh, you know, I've been designing his pedal boards for, I don't know, four, four or five years now. So I, you know, it helps me working out on what pedals will work well with this amp and, and his setup. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's, that's the other side of the coin is not all gear cooperates depending on how you set up your rig. Right. Um, and, and I don't mean not necessarily a lot of gear, but sometimes you'll run into funny stuff that happens because of, uh, you know, something. A perfect example, uh, of this, we were in a venue. In fact, it's North or Northridge Park or North Northfield Park, Ohio. There's a casino there, and both Ringo and Toto play it often. And we had we were in sound check, in full full sound check, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Luke Luke's amp starts making this crazy sound. I've never even I can't even describe it. It was somewhere in, in, it wasn't a tube type thing, but anyhow, long story short, turned out to be one LED light. And I kid you not, an LED light on the truss would land on his pedal board and hit the uh, Echo Sex 2 pedal, which has a clear see-through panel so you can see the 12AX7. Yeah. The light would hit that 12AX7, and the rig would just freak out. I'll be done. And uh, I, I, it took us. I took me, and I mean, we couldn't. No one had ever seen that before. Uh, and and I, the simple fix. I just took a two-inch strip of black gaff and covered the tube, and yeah. it, 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 it silenced it. So <laughs> that's why, if you still look at his pedal board, I'm sure even today. That piece of tape is still on there. That's crazy. But, you know, stuff like that happens. All it's a bizarre, you know, stuff happens. See, I've I've seen some pretty unusual stuff that I I wouldn't have ever thought would have been a thing. So yeah. you never know. So let me ask, um, let me ask you: Does he control his pedal board a hundred percent in real time, or do you do some of it from the sidelines? No, no, no. It's all him. Yeah. All him. And, you know, most of the time, if he's doing a little pedal dance up there, 
it's to turn the long delay on for leads as well as the lead boost. Mm-hmm. So that, and then off again for yeah. going back into a verse or a, a bridge or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the main thing that he's doing is adding more, uh, a, a longer delay for solos most of the time, not all every solo, but the big, you know, the big, right. you know, uh, Rosanna, uh, outro to Rosanna, he'll yeah. have the long delay on. And then he's, of course, got multiple boost options uh, from the guitar itself, but also uh, he's got a couple of boost pedals on the pedal board. Mm-hmm. So he can kind of mix and match and see what what's what. And, you know, the rig... You know, the rig tends to sound a little different in certain rooms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one night, uh, a certain combination may work a little better, Yeah. you know, for him. And what he's hearing, you know, and you got to remember, he's on in-ears. So, yeah. you know, he's not really hearing the back line that much when he's singing. He's got to have the ears in. Yeah. You know, so you'll find him a bit when he's not. You know, or if he's not singing on a song, he'll pull him out of his ears a little bit to let in more of that backline amp, you know, air. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, really helps. Yeah. He forgets to put him back in sometimes. <laughs> so sometimes you'll see him when he's singing, he'll be like, oh, you know, put him right back in. But uh, he's, he's really good about it. But that's, you know, these are just little things, you know, that to someone who's, uh, you know, not performing on, 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 you know, large stages, you know, in-ears aren't necessarily, unless it's a vocal thing, but, right. you know, a lot of rock bands are still doing it old school, depending on where and the size of the gig. Yeah. So let, let me ask you this. Uh, I know, I, I know I saw it at some point back. I saw a video of him talking about stacking delays as opposed to using, you know, a lot of reverb. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, no, I, I, I went in, um, I went in cause I, I've never liked reverb that much because I think it, you know, it makes the, I think it mushes things up personally. And it so, does. yeah. And so when I heard him talking about that one time, I went out and I had a timeline and I went out and I bought a Wampler, uh, tape echo and I bought a couple of the boss ones, the DD threes and seven. Yep. In that, and I started doing, started experimenting with it, and I was, when I when I walked away from it, I was like, oh my god, I couldn't believe I wasn't doing this all along because it was such night and day difference. See, yeah, it it I know exactly what you mean. Reverb is a real kind of, it's a it's a it's a very tricky thing, uh, you know, because. You know, I, I can I can attest when I first started playing, I thought reverb was fantastic. You know, it made it sound like I was on stage or something, you know, uh, like, you know, of course, this is before I, you know, started really performing a lot in bands. This was just when I first started out. But if you're using one amp, like, for example, a twin reverb or, or you know, a Fender blackface type amp, reverb, although it'll sound great in a bedroom, but when you when you get out there with a band, I mean, and a, a real, you know, a hard-hitting band, that beautiful, pristine, lush reverb disappears immediately, and all of a sudden, 
it just washes out, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, washes out the note you're playing. Yeah. So, you know, the real school, there are two schools of thought on this. If you're, if you're the gigging guy, you know, that, and you're only, uh, you know, you can only really take one amp. Well, then you've got to look at, do you really need reverb or do you have an effects loop or what do you got? Because if you're using the amps reverb and through a one amp setup, you're going to lose definition big time. And you're probably going to have a harder time standing out in the mix, uh, you know, for front of house. So a lot of guys, Larry Carlton, for example, great example, will take a sand out of, of, you know, or a line out, whatever, whether between the amp and the power amps or the preamp and the power amp or just a tap off the speaker line in a combo, for example, and then they'll feed that into a separate, you know, reverb unit uh, and separate power and speakers. Uh, so, you know, you get the best of both worlds. You have a completely dry amp and then all of your time base, your reverb or your delays or whatever else are coming through the, the second amp, if you will. Yeah. So you get a you're able to blend, you know, how much wet versus the, the dry signal. Um, and that helps big time. I find if you, it, on bigger stages, digital reverb, like for example, in Luke's rig, um, you know, he's got digital reverb on all the time. Okay. Believe it or not, that's always on. And because it's digital and he's got a high gain kind of thing going, it actually works really well. It, it, he still has the punch and oomph of the note he's playing, but then, you know, you won't notice the reverb when he's actually playing, the, you know, a lead per se. It's just when cascading and, you know, or he's playing really delicately, will you actually hear the, the wash of the verb, you know, coming out of a note per se. Yeah. But he does, he does rely on it heavily because it, you know, it's awful dry up there, even with his delay. He doesn't, the only time he's really cascading delay is on the big solos or if he's, if it's something, you know, where he wants real ethereal and sometimes he'll double up three or four to do that. Um, so, yeah, you know, he really does that. Uh, Eric Johnson is another really good example, uh, you know, on his clean town, uh, how he uses multiple delays like that. Um, Jimmy Herring is a great example for reverb, uh, how he splits his reverb, uh, from his main amp and then controls and fades the reverb in with a volume. Um, so he can control real time how much verb for what passage he might be playing. So, but that's, that's sort of, you know, how a lot of guys are approaching it. And, and then some guys don't like reverb at all. They just don't want any of the ambience because when the band starts playing in a room, well, the room's the sound. You know, you don't need to add a fake room on top of a real room. So, you know, there's that school of thought, right. too. It really comes down to the individual and what they like and what they want to kind of accomplish. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a techie question. 
Sure. All right. Since you build boards and you're working one of the best, do you put the compressor before your overdrive or after your overdrive? Uh, before. Yeah. Before. Um, well, we've only used, believe it or not, uh, the compressor was a bigger deal, I think, in his rack, his Bradshaw days. Um, he doesn't really use a compressor uh, anymore. Um he only really used it in my tenure, at least, with Ringo. Uh, he never uses one on Toto, um, or at least he he doesn't currently live and hasn't since, you know, 2000. Well, he's had one on the board, but we eventually took it off. He only used it for one tune. Um, it was a Richard Page song, and he was doing kind of quasi-pedal steel riffs, very clean. So he wanted that really hammered compressor pedal steel kind of vibe yeah and 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 but that was never meant to be used with gain because the setting he was squashing it for that so if you were to take that setting and turn on say a lead pedal even if it were after it would just i mean it'd be out of control so you know he he doesn't really rely on compression so much is boost and and adding in various amounts of gain either via pedal or or gain boost on the guitar to the already overdriven Wagner which you know he doesn't channel switch he just it's you know on the ecstasy it was the blue rhythm middle channel you know turned fairly high up and on the helios it's just the overdrive you know the 800 uh setting on the helios mm-hmm. so that's always on yeah and so does he so does he have a boost built into his guitar uh the ernie ball uh signature model yes has yeah. a push push volume uh i think it's a 20 db uh 20 db boost okay. that he can engage at any time which doesn't doesn't uh add any volume it's not like a pedal where you can, you know, turn the output volume all the way up and boost, right. you know, the, the sound. It just adds more hair and, and dirt to it. the sound. You're not going to hear any difference in, I mean, there may be if you took like a, I mean, I could I could probably ask my front of house guy if he notices any difference when I engage it, but I, I tend to think not. Um, yeah. It's more for adding more... Uh, sustain and more hair to the distortion mm-hmm. that's the best way i describe it at least now have you heard of guys using uh like eq pedals or, sure. or tone pedals as their boost of course yeah oh that's fantastic in fact yeah. you know uh i i did that uh you know i was in la in the early 90s and that was all I had was a, a Demeter. I still have it. Actually, I love it. The TGA three. I think I have a pre-production model of it, but I just ran a, a you know, a, a, I think it was a, just a GE seven and uh, raised the level just ever so slightly. And that way you're not really changing any kind of tonal or gain. Uh, you're raising gain, but you're, it's more EQ and it's not as fuzzy. It's right. usually clearer. Right. And you're really just boosting frequencies of the instrument and, and the overall output level. So you're hitting your input a little harder. So, 
And uh, that's a great way to go. I mean, that's uh, a lot of guys uh, I know of uh, have used that, especially in the higher gain department. Yeah. See, I I use an earthquake. It's called a it's called the tone job. Yeah. And that's all you know. That's all it is. Is it's really it's an EQ pedal. You know. Yeah. Bass treble mid volume. That's it. And yeah. uh, and I I've, I used to use a boost pedal, and then I started using that, and I loved it. Because you know, I it, I don't know. It just it just sounded so much better. Now here's a good question: Do you put that after your your drive pedals, or do you put that at the end of your your chain? Well, remember, there's it, it's going to be no right or wrong. It's going to more how is it going to affect your you know your signal path and your amp. You yeah, know, sure. It, it, and and all of them are going to have some you know whether you put it before or after. It might not be so much of a tonal difference, but it could be a feel or the way it's reacting, and settings could be highly altered, depending on how you set your drive pedal as well. But um, for the most part, to answer your question, um, if well, when I was running my setup back then, I had my EQ first, and and I'll tell you why. Um, my amp was already distorted. Um, so what I had was actually a two EQ setup and, yeah. you know, I think a lot of guys are, are, are using the EQ as a boost, mm-hmm. but, but, but there's a, there's another way you can use a, a really effective way to, uh, to control a one channel distorted amp and that's to lower everything to clean up your amp. And John Hudson from who took over in Faith No More yeah. does the same thing. Um, also, uh, Paul Gilbert, who has his own uh, parametric EQ, I believe. And he does the same thing for his marshals be because nice. he leaves them. He leaves them distorted. But when he wants to clean it up a little, he just drops. He cuts all the bands and then, you know, lowers the volume just a hair. And it cleans up the distortion. Great. You know, perfect for like classic rock and blues and, yeah. you know, kind of stuff like that. So I, to answer your other question, I, I ran mine before, um, anything, uh, drive wise. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's, you know, so it, for example, if you did want to have the option of throwing a, you know, whatever, a tube screamer or a distortion or whatever, I would probably tend to start with the EQ um, doing its thing in front of that and then seeing, because, you know, if you're, it's sort of weird. If you already got your amp distorted, you know, uh, especially if you're running like a Mesa or a multi-channel where you have incremental more amounts of distortion, you probably don't really need a distortion pedal on top of that. So, you know, that's why, but if you are running it on a clean channel and you just want that sound, then yeah, I would, I would start with the, uh, EQs in front and then your overdrive slash distortion gain. And then if that's not getting you the desired result, you know, then try it behind it and see what that's doing. I just worry about kind of extra, you know, distortion pedals. And overdrive pedals can, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I tend to like to keep my EQs, you know, from seeing 
massively different levels. Yeah. You know, especially if you like to boost your, your overdrive or distortion, you know, for a, like, if you're not, uh, I know a lot of times I've cheated here and there without a sound guy and set my boost for a little louder, uh, just to get out in front of the band a little more. Um, but again, it, it most of it is going to come down to, you know, what works best for an individual, but, and there's no right or wrong, but I, I generally try to keep, EQs um, uh, beforehand, unless I'm trying to change the, e- the the EQ of the distortion. For example, David Gilmore running tube drivers, he had a you know in, in each after each of his tube drivers, he had EQ, mm-hmm. so he could he could dial in his strats a, a bit better. Yeah. You know, had a little bit more low end, had a little bit. Uh, actually, it wasn't more low end. It was actually raised. Uh, I think it was, I want to say 6K. And uh, so, uh, there was just a slight bump in the upper mid and, and high end, I think, from memory. But, yeah, he was a big fan. And that's because he wanted to kind of tame some of the two driver fizz, fizziness with it as well. Yeah. So... But, you know, like I said, I mean, that's all. And those are vastly different players with vastly different tones. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it, it's really how you're utilizing it, I think, for the most part. But, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. And, I, I you know, when I teach a, a newer student who's just getting into the electric setup and pedals, I always point out about the EQ because it's easily overlooked. And... You know, especially if they're playing high gain stuff and, you know, they want to get a little bit more boost out of it. That's the answer. Yeah. Now, do you, I, I, I guess you're teaching guitar lessons. Do you also teach people how to, you know, how to tech for themselves or how how to understand, you know, setting up your pellet board and your signals and all that? Sure. Kind of stuff? Do you... Oh, I've always incorporated that kind of, you know, a lot of a lot of students are always naturally curious. Yeah. Um, you know, when you, you first put them in, plug them into a multi effects and they're like, wow, this thing's amazing, you know? And, uh, yeah, I've always tried to along the way, I mean, I'll teach, I had my own curriculum, but I also had, you know, I taught for the school of rock for a long time. I did my own private, uh, stuff here and I always offer any kind of help or advice in those areas as well. And, and it's usually a natural progression because the first thing that happens to a beginning guitar student is they break a string. Yeah. So, you know, the teching really starts right then and there <laughs> right when, right. you know, um, and I've heard, you know, I'll be honest, as an instructor, you know, I've heard, you know, all kinds of, I have also worked in retail, mind you, for many years in music retail as well, but. I've, you know, back in the day, I've, you know, a mother would come in with a, you know, a broken high E string and, uh, you know, and I always felt weird about having to, you know, we had a small fee for restringing, but I always sort of felt bad about it. So every time I got a chance, I would just do it, you know, and try not, I wouldn't charge him, but I would teach him how to restring it so that the next time he could do, try it himself. And 
a lot of times that got them going right away. And, you know, that that's the first thing that usually happens next to how to tune a guitar. Yeah. You know, which usually the tuning comes first, but not always. Yeah. A lot of times they break the string trying to tune because they tune it four octaves too high and don't know it. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, let me, let me switch gears on this. Sure. I don't want to pick your brain, you know, completely when it comes to the techie stuff. You know, uh, it was, I met Steve in 2010 for my first time. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I interviewed him on my radio show because I had an, uh, a physical radio show a number of years back. And I'll, okay. never, and I'll never forget, I got him on the phone and, and I said, Hey, Steve, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. And he started, and he didn't stop talking for an hour. Yeah, that sounds like Luke. Yeah, he, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't stop. It was, it was probably one of the most interesting, you know, hour and fifteen hour and twenty minutes I ever spent in my entire life. So I got to know what is it like to be on the road with that guy? <laughs> oh God, it's exciting <laughs> as hell. Uh, you know. Uh, there, there is never a dull moment. That's for sure. Uh, you know, I, a lot of a lot of stuff can happen on tour. You know, it's a, most of the big pain in the butt stuff about touring is the actual travel. I mean, you know, the having to get to airports at four a.m. and you know, and, and you know, all this stuff, runner vans, and you know, uh, so. You know, uh, it, he is just a wonderful, happy-go-lucky guy. Um, you know, like everyone uh, might assume, you know, there are pitfalls in the road, and people, you know, always, you know, we try to do our best to, you know, keep focused on the tours and, and deal with the stress of airports and transportation and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So it can be tedious at times, but, you know, and, and everyone gets a little, you know, sort of thrown off by, you know, certain things, TSA. And, you know, when we're doing it every day, you know, for years and years, it's sort of like second nature to us, you know. And uh, but he is the most wonderful, caring guy. You know, I, I, that's why I, I continue to work for him, you know, to this day, because it's just, you know, he I got lucky, you know, and, and we wound up meeting and. We, we love touring together. I mean, if I ever need anything, I can, you know, call him right up and say, hey, you know, and he's right there for me just like I am for him. So it's – we have a great relationship, and, and that's something that I, I will, you know, always have and why we, we love traveling so much. But it can be – you know, it can be tough. It's no walk in the park, and, you know, I won't lie. Everyone gets, you know – Everyone has their moments for sure, but like everyone else does in real life, but we do our best to deal with everything and all the hardships of touring and look forward to the good times. And hey, we get to see the world too. So there's that bonus. Now, you said you mentioned that, you know, you're pretty much on the road for, you know, 10 months or so out of the year. Do you have a family? Yeah. My fiance, Catherine, and I have been here uh in maryland for well god i don't know how long but we've been together since 08 so we've we've she's seen all of the the luke's uh era and uh it's it, it is certainly tough on relationships but at the same time 
um, you know, she's in the medical field. Um, so she works an awful lot and it just works out that we're able to deal with it. I fly her out whenever I can, whenever it makes sense. If we, you know, have a couple of days off here or there, which happens occasionally, I'll, yeah. I'll try to fly her out whenever I possibly can. Um, because, you know, it's tough. That's the real hard part is, you know, you just can't be home if you really want or need to be there. So, it, you, yeah. you know, it, it can be very mentally stressful. You know, someone gets sick or, you know, a family member or, you know, I've unfortunately I've had, you know, grandparents pass away on me when I've been on tour and haven't been able to come home until, you know, a couple of days, you know, for the funeral kind of thing. Right. Um, so there, there's been that too, but like, you, you know, like it, it, it depends on the situation and it's always tough, but you know, it's, that's kind of what I've been doing and it's sort of par for the course. Eventually I, you know, I, I don't know how long I'll be on the road, but as long as the job offers are there, I suspect I'll be right there, you know? Um, but you know, it also helps when you have a great crew, a great cruise plural, uh, to work with. And, and, you know, it's a traveling family. So even when you come home off a tour, you still talk to them all the time. I mean, you know, you travel with someone that long, it's sort of second nature. Uh, so we talk all the time. Yeah. Even though I haven't spoken to him in maybe two weeks or so, but uh, I'll send him a text. <laughs> there, there you go. You're thinking of, I'm yeah. thinking of you. Yeah. Well, he's great. He checks in all the time. So, and I like to, I don't like to go too long without him, you know, worrying about me and what's going on. So I always touch base with him anyhow. Okay. I'm going uh, to ask you one last thing. Cause I've had you on here a long time and I sure don't want to take up all your time. Oh, no problem. Yeah. How how much has your playing improved since you've been working with Steve? That is probably the best question anyone has asked me in that regard. Um, and I was just, it's funny you've asked me. I was just thinking and talking about this uh, with Catherine not a few days ago. Um, it is amazing uh, what you will pick up. Mm-hmm. just through watching. And I, I know this because when I mentioned to you earlier about my growing up with Paul Reed Smith and watching these professionals perform every night, you know, over and over, the amount that you learn, it might not seem like much the minute it happens and you see it, but when this happens over and over and over, it is amazing how much I've learned from the men. Um, and he, you know... If you ask him, he'll say, oh, I don't teach. You know, he's not uh, a big, big on, on teaching, but he does do occasional uh, videos, which are great. Um, but I've learned a ton. Um, and what, what he is so really, uh, I think, just, you know, we all love to talk about Luke's lead playing. But it's his rhythm playing that is so amazing as well. His sense of timing and placement. And he just tends to play the right stuff in the right places. And, you know, being able to watch that, uh, I'm trying to think of a better example uh, for the guitar aspect of it. But And one would be tri- his use of basic triads 
Mm. Um, you know, basic triads, but in different places. Um, and not only that, but playing outside and tying it in with the one, um, it, you know, it's the little things that have really helped me the most. Um, and I'll tell you, it, it, had I not been there 20 feet away from them for as long as I have, you know, I wouldn't even know that. Um, you know, it's, he's, he's really, uh, every bit is good on both rhythm and lead. And I've seen him for, and, and the thing is, he's a chameleon. I mean, he can play in, in so many different genres yeah. and you might not, you might not even know it's him. Yeah. That, you know, whereas so many other guys have that so distinct tone and, and vibrato and, and approach, like, for example, you know, it's Stevie Ray or, you know, it's, you know, when you hear him, Steve Vai or Satriani and, and, you know, whereas Luke sort of has more of a, you, you know, and then when you hear him play, you know, the normal stuff, you go, oh yeah, that's Luke. But I love listening to the play to Ringo's material, Santana, mm-hmm. you know, hearing him outside of his own element. Man, that's, you know, he does some amazing stuff. I mean, jazz, Yeah, he's, you know, he's all over it. I mean, and it's just great to see. And as a, as far as playing wise, um, that's the biggest exciting thing for me is, you know, getting to kind of work on stuff. And, and there've been times I've gone to him saying, Hey, what are you doing there? Oh, uh, something like this, you know, and, you know, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he's not going to slow anything down for you. That's for sure. You gotta, yeah. you gotta keep, you're, you're gonna, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll demonstrate it. And if you're lucky, he, he might slow it down than like hyper performance speed, but it, it, you got to really, you know, not much. So you're, you got to kind of study it and learn it and, you know, kind of take your time with it. And it'll, uh, his circular picking, by the way, is, is out of this world. I don't even, I'm still trying to pick the, the actual, uh, technique he's using because I can't still for the life of me figure it out. Yeah, I'll give you an up. I'll keep you posted on that on <laughs> on how uh, my findings are next year. Yeah, because I I would think it would be for me it would be extremely difficult because I would probably lose my job in the first week because I would you know be so glued to watching him that I would forget you know that I'm supposed to do something right know, because I'd just be uh, amazed at you know. Because I would think that these guys, you know, you would pick stuff up. Because every every other tech that I've talked to, I say, hey, you know, do you ever get them alone? And you know, say, hey, you know, why don't you show me a few things and this and that? And he's, and most of them have always told me, no, we don't ever get that kind of opportunity. But I've learned more just by watching him, like you just said, twenty feet away. Right, right. Well, it's a combat. I mean, I am. I will say, Luke. On on, there have been many times where I've actually sat down and played with him or messed around on a, an acoustic while he's warming up or, uh, or just gone to him saying, Hey, what are you playing in this part? But that doesn't happen anywhere near as often as I'd like. So yes, yeah. you're right. I, every day I'm there, you know, twice a day for VIP sound check and the show. So getting to see that is really where you're going to see him. And he's at his best, you know, I mean, he, when he's out there really doing it, I mean, there, there are nights where he just, he'll play something that, 
you know, sometimes, you know, during a tour, he'll really reach out and play something that he hasn't even played on at all on the tour. Mm. And those are the nights that I really look forward to, because that's where you're really hearing him open up and let loose. And it's always amazing. And it's great, too, because, you know, a lot of times we'll be doing big festivals with a lot of other bands, with a lot of other great guitar players. And, you know, usually for Luke's set, any other great guitar player in the area is stage right watching Lukather, you know. Um, so, you know, he's got great relationships with so many other fantastic guitar players. And, you know, they're all one big family. Yeah, that album he did with Larry Carlton, you know, years ago, that was one of my favorite albums. You know, it was so, so yeah. good. I remember talking to him about it and he, I remember him telling me that he... he uh, that he was kind of under the weather, if you know what I mean, and uh-huh. <laughs> wanted to. Yeah. He always wanted to be able to go back and redo that, you know. So, but you would never know. It's fantastic. I mean, it was just so amazing, you know, because Larry Carlton's a master in himself, right? You know, and the two together, are, I think it's just a great, you know, combination. But anyway, yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've heard him. I've heard him come off stage sometimes, going, "Man, I didn't play that well," and I'm thinking, "Good lord." Uh, I got to disagree with you there, you know, but uh, I think it's always the natural drive, you know, to be better and, yeah. you know, to uh, to be 120 percent at, you know, every show is just impossible sometimes. And, you know, I, I mean, he just strives to be that good every time he picks up the guitar and 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 he is. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's great to see. It really is. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, not keep our fingers crossed. We'll be back at it before too long. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. So I tell you what, you got to let me know about your new CD when you're done with it. Will do. You Will know? do. For I definitely sure. want to do that. And next, I got one last final question. Is, uh, yeah. Is there is there a uh, like a secret society for you guitar tech types? Uh, you guys have well, like your own little union. You know your own little. You know, I mean, there are, I think there's roadie sites on Facebook and stuff like that. I, <laughs> excuse me, I wouldn't say my, maybe a secret society, but <laughs> you know, after, if you, if you remain in the business for, for some time, it's only a matter of time before you're going to run into very, you know, various other long time techs yeah. of the business and, uh, obviously I got to work for a majority of those texts, uh, uh, during my tenure with Nils Lofgren and, uh, and seeing all those. And, and so after a lot of times, uh, you know, people will jump from tour to tour, um, especially carpenters and, and riggers. And there's many other areas within touring. So a lot of those departments hop around more so they, you know, they become friends with other techs and people on other tours. And before long, it's just everyone sort of knows everyone. Yeah. I wouldn't call it secret. It's more <laughs> just networking and going, oh, you're with, you're, you're with, uh, you know, Def Leppard now. Cool. Or you're with, you know, you two or, or whoever. Um, right. so, you know, you, and, and of course you meet great people along the way and you keep in touch. And it's just really, I think, networking and, and, and getting chances to work with with other great techs and and people who you know really care and and uh, that's sort of how the network is built. Um, if there's any secret society, uh, 
I'm not aware of it, but uh, <laughs> you know, I keep in I keep in good contact with quite quite many people in the business, so I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it's always good to you know keep in touch with guys that you've you know care about and and don't get to see often. Yeah. Uh, and and we we have through the this whole ordeal, but uh, it it will be. Uh, nice to get back to work and actually uh, get to see Lugather again and, and be alongside all these wonderful people. So I'm I'm wishing all of them well and getting through this as best and quickly as we can and get back to getting the show on the road. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, John. I uh, you know really appreciate your time. I do. No problem. And it was you, great talking to you. Doing this, yeah. It was it was a pleasure meeting you and. Once again, you know, let me know what happens with your CD. I sure love to, to of hear course. It, maybe promote it on yeah. our podcast. And oh, that'd be fantastic! Yeah, I'll, uh, in fact, I'm getting together uh, with back with those guys this weekend, so I'll have uh, I'll keep in touch with you on uh, you know Messenger throughout the year, and then yeah. let you know. By the way, uh, if we're you're in you're in Illinois, correct? Ch- outside of Chicago, yeah. Oh, oh okay, yeah. Well, uh, I think. Um, yeah, I think isn't it the MGM Park or something? Isn't that Northfield Park? Isn't that just south of Chicago? Uh, it's not. South, not it's west. It's west. I think uh, last. I, I, we I, did it. We, yeah, we did it twice last year. Did you? Yeah, I don't. Have you ever been out to that no, one no, of our shows? I, I saw. I saw Toto at the Chicago Theater. Okay. And then okay. I, then I saw him at. Um, Oh, the one up in St. Charles, Arcata. Yep, and then Arcata. I, and then yep. I saw the Ringo thing at uh, Chicago Theater. I, I've seen Toto. Oh my God! I think you know maybe six, seven times. Sure. You know. Well, let me know if you ever want to come out. I mean, if if you're near where we are, just hit me up. I'll put in for a ticket for you, no problem. That'd be great. I love that. Yeah, and. All right, John. Well, thank you so much. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I'll keep in touch with you and and, uh, have a great rest of the week. Yeah, same to you, John. Take care, buddy. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. So there you have it. John Gosnell, Guitar Tech for Steve Lukather. I want to thank John so much for coming on Guitar Talk. It was a pleasure. Uh, It was a great privilege. When his new CD is released... Once we know about it, we'll make sure that we're posting it on our social media and on our website so that you can have the opportunity to check it out. Now, you got the opportunity to tune in next Wednesday and check out Johnny A. That's right. Johnny A is going to be in Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. That's right. Now, you know him from Jake Isles or the Yardbirds. He's a great guitar player. Uh, he's got his own Johnny A guitar. It's, it's pretty cool. You know, I talk to other guitar players that I really love that are really great players and, you know, touring and stuff like that. And they go, Oh yeah, I got one of them Johnny A guitars, one of them Gibsons. So that's cool. You know, Johnny's going to be on the program. Uh, and, and, you know, until then, I think, uh, I don't know if it's every morning or if it's every Tuesday morning, he, uh, gets on Facebook. And he's there to talk to fans and he plays music and talks about all kinds of stuff. And every now and then he'll do a Facebook live where he's in the kitchen cooking. 
and having drinks and stuff like that. So it's really cool. You know, he's tried to stay connected well to, to his audience and his fans and his friends and that during, you know, these rough few months for, for artists and that. So Johnny A will be my guest next week. Now on a different note, we want to make sure that you're following us, you know, on Facebook, uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can follow me, Jimmy Warren, uh, also uh, jimmywarrenofficial.com forward slash guitar talk um, podcast. So, you know, this podcast is on Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, Anchor FM, and just a slew of other places. And that make sure that you're liking it and you're subscribing. And the other thing you could do that would really help us out is uh, we have a donation page on our website where you can go and you can support us, you know, one time or on a monthly basis. Hey, it don't need to be much, but any little bit helps. You know how things are right now. So if you could pitch in and you enjoy like what you're hearing and you want to continue hearing it, you know, hey, that'd be great. We'd really appreciate it. You know, and the other thing is, is recently we partnered up with a nonprofit organization called Guitar for Vets. Now, if you're not familiar with them, they've been around a long time. Uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of great guitarists like Scott Ian from Anthrax, Tommy Emanuel, uh, Sully Erna from Godsmack. Uh, there's a, just a whole bunch of different people that are involved in this organization. What they do is they help veterans with PTSD uh, through music and through the guitar. Uh, many of the main manufacturers, Gibson and Fender and, and the like, have all pitched in to donate guitars and money and strings and straps and all that kind of stuff in order to help uh, veterans deal with their issues through uh, through music. And they get, you know, lessons, and there's volunteers all around the country that are giving lessons and helping out. So you can go to our website, which is jimmywarrenofficial.com forward slash guitar talk podcast, and uh, you can donate to them. You can also get linked to their website uh, so that you can find out exactly what they're doing and how you can become involved. I don't know. I, I'm a firm believer in helping the vets. I think people that sacrifice for our country, you know, so that you and I can have the freedoms that we have really mean something. And uh, if we can give back in any way, shape, or form, that's great. So it's a really good organization. Uh, it's called Guitars for Vets. It's guitars with the number four vets, V-E-T-S dot org, guitars4vets.org. Okay? I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. My name is Jimmy Warren. It's been a blast. I will see you next week when my guest is Johnny A. right here on Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren.